Welcome back to the No Ratings Podcast. At the time of recording, it is 10.50. England have just exited the World Cup about an hour and 50 minutes ago. One of the guests on today's pod was sat in my house about an hour and 50 minutes ago watching the game. And he was sat in the corner and I said to him, you just want to walk home in the cold now, don't you? And he was like, yes. But he drove home with his mum to hop of the pod. Uh, and the other one is uh, Amir. Uh, but firstly, let's go to Danish. Danish, I think, is this your first official appearance on the pod? Because we always have tech issues. No, I've, I've been on one before. I did a Champions League prediction. Clearly not memorable. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Bro, he's done us a favour here as well, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to be fair, to be fair. Um, it's a three-way pod today. Pause. But it's a Pause. pod. Yeah, you got really it in really the we're going to talk about England. We're also going to talk about Neymar. We're going to talk about Croatia and Modric and Morocco. And potentially, if we have a bit of time, maybe France. But there, we are also doing a pod on the semi-finalists. But this is more of a, a little bit of a chit-chat on what's happened and what's gone on. Uh, as I mentioned, Danish was extremely emotional after England went out. Amir, where were you? Because <laughs> were we on a pod and you said... Wait, were you, did you say you are supporting England or you're not really? I said, uh, well, no, I said I'm supporting some of the England players. Um <laughs> which is kind of a weird place to be at. Uh, I, I really w- just wanted Sterling uh, to do well. And obviously Sterling is one of my favourite players. Uh, and obviously Foden's up there as well. I like a lot of the England players. Mm. Um, but people know, people who know me know that I've loved Giroud as one of my favourite players for like eight, nine years or whatever. So uh, sort of involuntarily, I, I celebrated the Giroud goal. Um, oh my and then God. I was like... Uh, who am I really spotting? Um, so I'm, I'm not upset that England really went out. I think on my list of sort of stories that I want to happen, uh, I tweeted this yesterday. I, I wanted Morocco. Uh, I want Morocco, sorry, to win the World Cup. Uh, have a sort of my heart wants them to win. It'll be a lovely story. And obviously a lot of Muslim players there. And then second uh, to that would be Messi winning. And then third to that was like Foden or Sterling or some of the England <laughs> players like Rashford and them uh, succeeding so I don't really have a, a strong affiliation to anybody but I would say England were up there for me uh, I'm not massively bothered that they've gone out um, and, and yeah shout out Giroud <laughs> mental I think Danish you're like the complete opposite aren't you yeah you're no like, I mean you were dev- you were devastated wasn't that devastated I mean, I mean, I'll probably on. be more devastated later when I do go on that uh, cold walk alone with uh, some sad Drake playing. But no, of course I was devastated. Thoughts. Yeah, yeah, thoughts uh, only with Aubrey Graham playing in my in my ears. But <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah, of course I was devastated. This is like Amir said. This is an extremely like very likable England team. They've um, hmm. Gareth Southgate is a really likable manager. I think they understand how culturally diverse the, the country is. They they get all the history of, of the, the heartache of what England has been through. But like Amir said, there's just some really likable players. But of course, I was devastated. You have to be. Another tournament of, uh, of devastation for me, though. So, yeah. So close, yeah. I mean, I mean this is a, a team that's really like... I think they probably do deserve um, sort of a, a win in here somewhere based on the last three tournaments. Um the thing is, with, with World Cups and international tournaments in general, it's like there, there is a lot of luck or chance involved. Yeah. So mm. it's just annoying that England have been so consistently good in terms of their performances to not have anything to show for it in terms of uh, a trophy. Um, but yeah, that, that's sort of just the, the way 
things go really it it sounds really really cliche but it, it it's just really really fine margins you look at like all the quarterfinals yeah. today and yesterday um two went to penalties and the, the other two were decided by like one goal so it's it's extremely fine margins when it when it comes to this and then obviously harry kane missing the penalty uh, i don't so so what was your reaction amir when when he missed the penalty if you were like cheering for when Giroud scored <laughs> yeah you know, I wish I had like a, a Twitch stream or something going on at the time because <laughs> <laughs> this is, look, if, if you're an England fan, I apologize because this is not anything that you want to hear. And I'm not sort of against anyone who supports England or wants them to win. If they won, I would have been like sort of equally as happy. But when Kane missed that penalty, I just started laughing because it, it Oh just, my it just God, goes, they're going to have your they life. Go- they're gonna have your life. I'm not supporting England like that, so no one can really blame me. I think I've adopted Morocco as my team, um, and before that, it was Saudi Arabia and Senegal, um, which are the teams that I, I was really. Sort of and in to be fair for. to you, you've you've been on this pod and you have said that this isn't a new thing. You've been saying yeah. it pretty much just to get go. Yeah, so I, I, yeah, I'm not sort of gonna fake my opinions or whatever. Like I, I'm authentic uh, with that penalty miss. I just found it funny because. It's basically impossible for for Kane in my mind to miss that penalty, and I think yeah. Kane is so reliable. And I think I think the commentator literally said like it's Mister Reliable stepping up to take the right. penalty or something like that. And then he missed, and I just started laughing. And then I said to uh, I said to my brother, I was like, I hope Sterling comes on and, and grabs the equaliser now. <laughs> so it's it sort of like that for me. Like whatever was better for the story of the game and for the players that I liked, I, I didn't have a strong affiliation to the teams as as a whole. Um, which is completely different to club level, but I feel like we're on a very similar level with this World Cup. Like, despite being sat in England, despite being sat in a room full of England fans, because I had all my relatives over, including Danish, um, I'm sat in that room thinking, I'm here for the narrative, and also, like, even even after Kane missed the pen, I was kind of going, listen, if England can get an equaliser here, I'd I'd love it if this happened. I've I've watched this entire World Cup with the feeling of, I'd love it if this happened, rather than like... And then something completely different happens, and I still love it, because it's something that I didn't even think of. I mean, Um, the the Argentina-Netherlands game, which we're not going to talk about in too much detail, but when that free kick went in from Netherlands, bear in mind, I'm supporting Messi in this tournament for the most part. I was like, oh my God, that is like the best thing ever. Yeah, I, like, I probably celebrated I the goal as well. I yell. Yeah, 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 yeah. massively. Yeah. Bizarrely, I have stocks in in Weghorst's career. Same, and, uh, same. Yeah. So no, when no, he bagged no, a brace, no. even though it was at the expense of Messi, I was like, you know what? Naturally, I'm celebrating. Like, Fair play, uh, yeah. I think when Saudi beat Argentina, we all sort of flipped our idea and went, hey, you know what? Like, I kind of just Anything loved ev- everything that could possibly happen. And it's been the World Cup of Impossibles. We'll come back to that towards the end of the episode when we talk about Morocco. Um, let's very quickly talk about England because I posted a TikTok which a lot of people disagree with where I basically said that I don't actually think on this occasion Southgate has been quote-unquote exposed so I think this time he actually got his tactics somewhat correct Um, it wasn't a case of he was pragmatic I think maybe his changes weren't ideal for some people people blame the Sterling change I don't even think that was a wrong change personally Um, I think on this rare occasion I feel like we can't really point the finger at Southgate because he's actually come up short in previous occasions. This time, I think France was just clinical. 
And if Maguire scores a header, it's a completely different story. If Kane scores a pen, it's a completely different story. If Rashford's free kick is a couple of inches lower, it's a completely different story. If Giroud's header doesn't clip off Maguire, it might not go in. Like this, that is tournament football, I think. Um, I don't, Danish, I don't know if you said this when we were sat there. Were you saying the opposite to me? No, no, I wasn't. Uh, um, <laughs> I, I think that he, I think he got. I think he got most of the decisions right. I disagree with the Sterling one. Uh, when when he took Saka off, I thought Saka in in the second half when England were playing at their finest, basically at their most dangerous, uh, Saka had a lot to do with that. Basically, they couldn't find him in the first half, mainly um, because there wasn't really any half spaces opening up. And then Saka, I think England in general, perhaps maybe Southgate got him in and said you realise that you can have a go at these guys. That's exactly what Saka did in the second half. Started running, um, basically, on, on Teo Hernandez's side. It, it led to a penalty as well. Um, I think I would have not subbed Saka off. I also think that nope. I, he brought Grealish came on, I think, 92nd or 93rd minute. I made, maybe would have brought him on just before that. But I think as soon as Kane missed the penalty, it felt like the whole team... Was just maybe a little bit deflated because after that there wasn't really anything that they were doing apart from getting it wide and then putting in very very easy crosses into almost nobody really. Um, I think that just out of curiosity, then what do you think Southgate got wrong in previous tournaments? I think in the Italy game, for example, England were overly mm. pragmatic. They surrendered the ball much too easily. Um, I think in the Croatia game, very similar as well. Although we've seen in this tournament already, Croatia are masters of actually dominating the ball because of how how organised they are, how how well they move off the ball to create spaces for other players. But on this occasion, I actually think tactically Southgate got a lot of things right. Personally, I would have bought Sterling on. I don't know if I would have bought Saka off. But to me, no. I, I think if half the world can see that subbing Saka was a bad idea, then... I feel like the only reason Southgate might have subbed him is fatigue, potentially. Um, or he probably looked at the side and went, I've got to bring on Sterling, because aside from Kane, the only person who's going to score goals for me is Sterling. Um, so I'm going to have to bring off Saka because there isn't another option. Um, well, quickly on Sterling, Amir. Obviously, yes. you're, back in, you're back in Sterling stocks. But then oh, when Sterling. Danish just said about Saka, you went no. I said... So I said no that he shouldn't have been taken off, as in I was agreeing with what yeah. uh, Danny said. So for so for me, I think like I, I've said this so many times. I've said this before the tournament began. I think for me, all four of Kane, Saka, Foden, and Sterling should be playing together. Um, and and how you figure out how to sort of get them in the side is sort of up to your own decision. I think there are a few different ways you can do that. Um. But but for me, like the ideal circumstance would have been to have Sterling roaming in behind Kane, have Foden on that left side, have Saka on the right, and then in that way you get the overlap that Henderson provides um, through Sterling anyway, but you also get Sterling running in behind Kane when Kane drops deep. Um, and then if that's not working in the game, you can very easily yeah. switch it to move Foden into midfield and have Sterling on the left where he's, I mean, where he was sort of player of the tournament contender in the Euros. Um, and obviously he he had to leave the tournament um, for a week or for part of the week last week. Um, but I, I would have seen I would have liked to see that. And I think the problem with certain coaches and I I, I don't know I, I think in terms of certain substitutions, 
in, in such a fine margin tournament, I think the game balances really heavily on substitutions and when to make them. We saw in the Argentina game when uh, Alvarez went off, Argentina conceded two and no one would sort of put two and two together and say, oh, you subbed a striker off or another striker, that's why we've conceded. But you lose your outlet, you lose that intensity and you use the pressure up top. When you take off someone who's able to retain the ball, who's really good sort of 1v1, who's kind of providing a lot of the chances or, or making things mm-hmm. happen, sort Agreed. of with the winning the penalty, buying the fouls, anything like that. I, I don't think there's any circumstance when you should be taking off a player who's doing dangerous things like that. For me, I trust players enough to the point where even if they're not um, performing well in the moment, if they have the potential to do so, so for example, Sterling has the potential to get in the box and get a tap in or win a penalty, I would still trust that profile to continue playing. Um, so for me, I, I think Sterling should have came on but and then played it, in that Isn't that four. kind of what he did? He basically put his trust in Sterling by bringing him on. But he, but he took but off he's, somebody he's who was playing off. really well. Yeah. I was just going to say, I don't understand why Hen- you need Henderson, Jude and Henderson, Jude and Rice together, sort of going into the last 10, 15 minutes. I mean, he I did th- He I did think... actually sub Henderson for Mount with 10 minutes to go. But I'm yeah. saying, you st- oh yeah, true. But you still have three central midfielders. I think it but has then, to do with so, the, the... Sorry, I think it has to do with the fact that he tried against America when England looked static and they had the... You know, USA just blocked them completely out of the game. It was exactly that. It was Sterling, it was Mount, um, it was Saka and it was Kane. And he said, look, this this isn't working. Um, it was Bellingham and Rice in the pivot. And he put, I think throughout the tournament against Senegal, he, he brought Henderson back in. Um, but in- England found... That I think they picked the lock in the second half mainly because um, Saka and Foden just started roaming around a little more. In the first yeah. half, the central options of Henderson, uh, Bellingham and Rice at the middle, they were just sort of easily being blocked off by Rabiot, Chumeni. So there was no like central options at all. Saka and Foden were wired. But in the second half, what happened and why why they were good is because Saka and Foden just were just like, right, I'm going to just roam anywhere on the pitch where I can pick it up from but defense the- and then drive. But don't you think like someone like, for example, Raheem Sterling in the middle works? I mean, for me, uh, we haven't even seen this for England, but we saw it a little bit with Tuchel, with with Foden, sorry, with Sterling playing in the middle. But with all of these rotations, Sterling is the one mm. who can facilitate all of them. He can play left wing if Kane, if so, if Foden drops sort of more central. He can run in behind when Kane drops deep and then he can provide that right-sided right winger role when Saka goes inside. Um, so that's the reason why have, I wanted him in there. I think possibly he could have come on for instead of Mount, but I I think it has to do with the fact it, with in the America game and, and just throughout the tournament, Sterling hasn't been that good in Southgate's eyes. Well, that's I, the only I, way I can see it. I, th- I think Mount, I mean, sorry, Sterling played the first game against Iran and I thought he was one of, if not the best player. I think him and Saka were yeah. sort of top two. And then against America, people criticised the attack, but I've tweeted this before. One of my pet peeves is when the attack is criticised in a game where the build-up's not good. They're not mm. getting service. They're not getting the ability to play um, or sustain attacking pressure. And then people are b- blaming sort of Saka, um, blaming Sterling, blaming Kane when the ball's not getting past sort of Rice or into any of the forward line players. Mm. Or I think, yeah, the narrative around Sterling's competition is a bit, I don't know. 
Basically, yeah, Amir loves Sterling and everything to do with Sterling. I mean, yeah, absolutely, that's true. Uh, <laughs> but I, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't have minded Madison coming on at number ten just to provide. No, that's a good shout too. That's a good shout too. That that's the only sub where I go. There's no point in bringing Grealish on in that situation uh, when you've got Madison sat on the bench because if, if you're thinking about fine margins, match-winning moments. The only difficulty there is the caveat to what I'm saying now is Madison hasn't played a minute for England, so to just throw him in there and go do something Why for not? me, yes, yeah. But the thing is, I, th- I think international football is so high risk that, like, by doing that, he might have, def- you know, in a way, given France even more license to dominate the midfield areas. However, at that point, I think it was like, was it 94 minutes? Maybe it was kind of like last chance. I think, I, th- I think thrown on, I think Mount came on like 80 seconds. Yeah, I think yeah, when Mount came on, you still I have think, 20 minutes of the game to go. Yeah, so I think Madison that was the crucial change. Two or three long shots. If you give Madison two or three long shots in 20 minutes, I mean, they don't even have to go in. Force a parry from Lloris. Force a corner. Force a sort of tap in yeah. from... Do you know I what mean, I mean? I think international football we, we saw is, it in... Yeah. It, it is more high risk, but it is slower as well. So you, you see a lot of attacking players on... In, you see Paul Pogba, for instance thrive a lot more in the international stage rather than at club level just because it is a little bit slower. So maybe maybe a Madison shot wouldn't have had The thing is, I, I don't... So I understand the point about trust. I just think, like, for me, I think Deschamps is an incredible uh, international manager because he understands balance and then also relationships between the players. So with Madison, it, it, he fits into that side in terms of balance because... He's like a really traditional number 10 and he provides magic. And then if you have sort of a left-footed left winger, then Saka on the right wing, Kane sort of up top, and then dropping deep, you have that goal threat coming from Madison. That's a really balanced side. I think the reason why France have a lot of success, even sort of without the high-profile names of, of Paul Pogba, Kante, um, Benzema out injured, is because they have a really good understanding of balance. Um, it, it shouldn't be entirely about trust more than it, it, um, like my point is it shouldn't be about does the manager trust this player it should be do, do the other players trust that player and then do they fit within that system well that's that's another thing though like we're assuming that Madison is trusted by the other players mm. but what if he's not like this it's an impossible question to answer because we're, we're not in the camp we don't know what's going on we see the little clips on social media and we think Jude Bellingham's definitely coming to Liverpool for example if Jude <laughs> Bellingham goes to like Man City tomorrow we're going to go oh maybe those social clips were just yeah. social clips you know so you see Madison do these nice <coughs> things in training with the players you go, oh this is lovely they love each other but when it comes to playing on the pitch it might be a completely different relationship I, I actually agree with the trust part because um if you look at like who Southgate has backed in his team, it has been his originals like Harry Maguire, whose confidence is shot completely, and he's put him straight into the tournament, and he's had a good tournament. But just Amir mentioned Deschamps being a very good international manager. He also is a manager as well, who's highly, highly uh, a fan of this team is built on trust. Like Adrian Rabiot, he's always, always trusted him in tournaments, and Rabiot has not had the best of years in the recently in, at, at club level. Oliver Giroud, he's been in there as well, um, even though a lot of people have said, oh, maybe it would be better to have Benzema in there. So I, I think it does matter in international level when you only have a set. You only have like three or four games, five, six. If you're lucky and you get past the the group stage. So I, I think it does matter to a certain degree. <clears throat> let's let's come back to Southgate quickly, because I, I actually really like that point, but I'm just conscious of the fact that we've got so much more to talk about and people are are so footballed out by the time these episodes go out that the request is always, please don't make it an hour and a half long. Um, 
Gareth Southgate, man, I'm going to come to you first. Do you think this is the end of Southgate? As in, do you, as in, not does the, should he get sacked or is this the end according to media or England? For you, is this the end for Gareth Southgate? I think you have to look at who we can replace him with. Um, and I don't know if there's a, a better option at the moment. Um, to be fair, I think Southgate's got good credit in the bank. I think uh, it's just annoying because there are these little things where it's like, if this was a little bit different, would England win the trophy? But he takes us so far every time. The camp's good uh, and he trusts players that sort of the general public might not trust who are actually good players. Um, I don't know. I think unless somebody really good um, Luis Enrique? presents themselves as an option. Huh? Luis Enrique? I don't know if he's a... I, I love him. I think I he's one of the best ones in the world. But, but... I... I don't know if I don't know if he's a English national team no, sort of manager. No, no, no. You know the the manager who I'd love for England to hire, and I think it, it'll be impossible. But I, I'd I love us to <laughs> go on have a guess. Thomas Tuchel. No, although Tuchel would be good. Um, that's a great shout actually. Um, yeah, that's actually a really good shout. I, I was gonna say Carlo Ancelotti when he when he leaves Real Madrid. I <laughs> you don't want to do that. Those were the two names in my mind, and I went, "Let's go Tuchel to play it safe." <laughs> Otherwise, it would have been Carlo Ancelotti. No, absolutely love Carlo Ancelotti. Um, and yeah, I, I just want to see Ancelotti sort of be a head coach of an international side yeah. anytime soon. Really, I think his game suits that sort of style. Um, but yeah, unless we get someone like that who I think is worth worth um, pressing Southgate on for then I don't see I sort of just take the semi-finals <laughs> and just keep it moving uh, I mean it's fun to think about it's really fun to think about it's fun to think about Thomas Tuchel it's fun to think about Pochettino it's fun to think about Luis Enrique it's fun to think about Pep Guardiola even because he said it once in an interview uh, in in with a Brazilian. I'd actually interview. love to see that. Eventually. He said it once. It was, a, it was in, in it was, twenty in about twenty years. He well, said it to a Brazilian. He said it to a Brazilian station, and he said it in Spanish. He said maybe the next steps managing international football, but in typical Pep fashion, he yeah. just shut it down and said no. But no, I, the Southgate has to continue. He has to continue. Um, so it's been as he's he's had this squad since twenty eighteen coming in. Obviously, when Big Sam and the whole debacle of, of him um, sort of disgracefully leaving uh, happened. He's had this squad from 2018 till now. He's got to a semi-final. He's got to a final, uh, a couple of penalties away in the in the final. We didn't actually play badly today. Um, I thought for large periods we were better. He, he has to continue. This is still a very, very young squad. Um, but they all trust him as well. Like we talk about trust again. These guys know Southgate inside out and they know what he wants. Um, England have been crying out for a setup that works for some time, and I, I don't, I don't see a problem with having this one in again. Well, the, the players, moment. the players look like um, they're excited to play international football every time yeah, we go. Yeah, and we heard, we've heard from like players. I think was it Mason Mount, or I think it was Rashford actually, who said um, that the basically the training sessions and things like that under Southgate have massively improved since the previous uh, coaches and. It just looks like it's a good camp to be in. Yeah, there's good training. They sort of get along well, and I think that's a big part of international football in and of itself. I feel like we we as football fans get so lost in club football 
but we forget that like international football is a completely different kettle of fish um, because I think players go with Southgate on international duty and they love being there. And I think we've forgotten what the previous generations of England footballers have been like. They've not enjoyed playing international football. They don't want to be at international tournaments with each other. And therefore, they don't do well in tournaments. Whereas now, like I hate the word hope, but Southgate's given England fans loads of hope. And with that attached with a growing sense of belief and more tournament exposure, which is what I think was the difference today. France have won these games the last however many years. And so in these situations, even when England were on top, if you like, France was still in enough control to take the game away at any moment. That comes from practice. That comes from failure. That comes from year after year. Um, and also, I just think people are going, get rid of Southgate, bring in Thomas Tuchel. Get rid of Southgate, <laughs> bring in Mauricio Pochettino. These guys that haven't managed at international level. It's a completely different vibe. So I, I think don't know, Tuchel's man. knockout stage success, I think he got to... A, did he get to like a final in like every yeah. knockout tournament yeah. he played in with Chelsea? So I think he kind of understands the pragmatic nature and, and sort of the in-game changes required for probably something like an international tournament. So I understand... But to be Charles fair, though, to be fair... On, on Thomas Tuchel, there's always unrest at every club he goes to with players. It's true. And I think the number one thing at every in every international <coughs> manager needs to do is nail down relationships with players. And if you can't do that, then you're not going to succeed as an international I think his manager. problems have been more with like higher-ups rather than players. Um, yeah. But I, I think a lot of the quotes I've heard about Tuchel um, have been like... So, so Gundogan's been coached by Klopp, Pep and Tuchel and he mentioned that Tuchel's training sessions were the best out of all of them. Uh, and I think Dembele said something similar in terms of Tuchel's training sessions being the best. Um, and I think if you're not with someone week in, week out, uh, you sort of go in just every however many months. I think he is a... Um, like his managerial style might suit that a little bit more. One sort of counterpoint to that would be that I'm pretty certain that no World Cup winning side has ever won the World Cup with a manager that's not from the same nationality as the club. Uh, sorry, as the national wow. team. Mm, um, so Desch- I'm pretty sure that's right. Uh, Deschamps with France, um, Del Bosque, Spain. Um, wow. Hey, listen, that's with a, Germany. You you love psychology. Go do some psychological research. Yeah, I, I know. So that's why I was thinking. I was speaking to, I was speaking to somebody about if somebody's going to replace Southgate or who possibly could be the to replace Southgate and I was thinking Eddie Howe and I'm trying to think of the, the uh, English managers Eddie Howe, Eddie Howe. Potter. I know he just got a job at Stephen um, Gerrard he just got a Chelsea yeah I mean there, there's sort of English managers that are more sort of coming <laughs> up now um, so I don't know I don't know there's possibly one to alright well um, okay. I'm sure we'll talk about Southgate in England again at some point during the tournament let's quickly talk about Neymar and Brazil because they obviously headed out in spectacular fashion, more drama in what I would describe as the best World Cup so far. Um, aside from Brazil going out, I'm sure you've tweeted about it. We've all tweeted about it. We've all spoken to our friends and on other platforms. Um, there's a theory out there, which was put out there by Sakib. I think he tweeted saying Neymar should just retire at this point, not just from Brazil, but from football, because his belief is that at PSG, he's achieved everything pretty much that needs to be achieved by the Champions League. And is he actually that bothered considering that he takes months and months out because he's injured and he can't be bothered. And then obviously at Brazil, he's not going to be back for the next World Cup. He can't play in another World Cup. He tried to inspire him to a win. It didn't work out. Why can't why can't he play at another World Cup? 
I know well, that I he, think he, he might just not about want to say that. Why can't he? Yeah, apart from the fact that he might not want to. He he himself has said he doesn't want to, but then also I believe he'd be thirty five years old. Yeah, um, this is thirty four, I think. Thirty four. Yeah, thirty or thirty one now. He'd be. I think when you th- when you think about Messi uh, being at that age, Messi one has adapted his game. Two, he's clearly very bothered about still playing at the top. Uh, and three, I think the other big difference is um, Messi, the footballer. Still is what's the word? Um, he's still competing at the top. Yeah, he's passionate. He's still competing. I, at the top. I think. I think Neymar is kind of all of those things as well. I think he gets painted with this brush of being sort of uh, this. I don't know this sort of lazy or arrogant player who doesn't care or doesn't want to try too much. And I don't know where that comes from. Maybe it's like this. I, I think it's almost a, a media narrative. Then then what's actually true I think he was obviously so hurt by this loss here he takes games basically by the scruff of the neck he picks the ball up and like you mentioned Messi's adapted his game so has Neymar Neymar receives really deep he plays in these sort of midfield areas to the point where I can't remember who it was now it might have been Kaká or Ronaldo Nazario it was one of the Brazilian legends who mentioned that maybe he he's adapted his game or tries to do too much in that he gets the ball deep and he tries to play with it too much and he gets fouled where whereas Messi links up a little bit further up the field or he plays with fewer touches deep and then sort of gets the ball more uh, and holds on to it when he's protected by sort of the 18 yard box and things like that I, I think Neymar the only reason why he might not want to sort of carry on um, is sort of all the narratives around him and the fact that yeah it's just like it must be such a horrendous experience to actually have that crowning moment and then have it taken away from you from no sort of fault of your own because he played a wonderful game and then people are still sort of blaming him for for that elimination which doesn't make any sense to me i i think it's more so that he's saying himself yeah. he, he doesn't he he's, doesn't he's, want to play. he said before that he doesn't know how much longer he will uh, play on for he came out and said after the game he said i have to think hard about whether i want to play in the next world cup I personally think that Neymar is absolutely a player who he he wants that crowning moment, right? He wants that LeBron James versus the Golden State Warriors four three moment. He he needs that. He should have. But this that. was it, um, by the way. He did every. He actually did everything for that. And then football is just a game of eleven individuals rather than it's, sort of the reduced numbers in basketball. Like you can't control what's happened. Yeah, uh, um, in that game there, man. He he. He had that almost in 2021 with the Champions League final. He dragged PSG to that final. Like, dragged him to the yeah, final. Yeah, that campaign was incredible. That was insane. Like, like, go, go back and watch those games for the people who, he, who have yeah, some time. He was, com- he was wow. insanely good. And, you know, last minute doesn't get it again. Um, the whole point of him moving to PSG was because he was like, I need that moment. I am as good as Messi. I'm, I'm as good as Ronaldo. I need that crowning moment of singularity. But I think in, in time, he's realized as well that maybe this wasn't the best option. There was big rumors. He, he tried to get a, a move to Barcelona. I think maybe last year or the year before where he said maybe this isn't the best move. I, I think also people should need to talk about his injury record. He's been injured quite a lot for like the last three or four or five seasons. Um, whether that's because he for the, the focus is on Champions League for, for PSG is a different story, but... Also, I just want to say one more thing. This Brazil team as well in um, 2026, like 
I want to see what this Brazil team is like in 2026 because this is like, I think, their peak. Casemiro is now like, I think, 31 or 32. Thiago Silva is 36, 37. Marquinhos also, I think he's 32 or something like this. Um, there's an overwhelming amount of depth that they had this season. But I want to see... Why have you suddenly gone into like a foreign way of speaking? Marquinhos is something like a 32, <laughs> maybe something like this. Sounds like it's Conte's backroom stuff. Yeah. Oh my God, yes. Sign me up, but um, <laughs> let, let's see, let's see what this Brazil team is like in twenty twenty six because it's but not the, on the on the point of Neymar. My thing, I don't think Neymar should retire, but I think the fact he's spoken about it, the fact he's got so many injury problems, the fact that actually in reality he's going to go back to playing club level football. PSG might not touch the Champions League, and if they don't, he's still at thirty four years old. He might have won another couple of French leagues. He won't have touched the Champions League. Does he come into this? Does he? Is he going to be in the same position Messi's in, where Messi's gone to PSG almost like to resharpen his tools so he's ready for a World Cup after winning the Copa America? I don't know if Neymar is in that situation in four years' time, when I think he actually would be 35 because his birthday's in February, so he'd be 35 years old. I don't even think Neymar plays until 35, to be completely honest. Mm. Um, I don't believe he's got the physical capacity to play that to that point because of how many injury problems he's got. If I'm if I'm the Brazil manager and Neymar uh, is not retired from international football, I would take him even if he gets like thirty minutes. He's Neymar, man. He people don't understand. This course, is one yeah. of the greatest players of all time. So sort of top 15, 20 players to ever play the sport. Um, and I I think his problems with wanting to continue, the probably partly the frustration of sort of the narrative and and the blame that he gets, and then also this frustration of sort of the injuries and things that he has. Like, I think it's less of a... Like, if you ask him, would you want to play for Brazil and succeed? And win? Like, he's going to say yes to all of these things. Yeah, of course. Like, but I just think all of the sort of situation and, and circumstances surrounding it is like, really difficult for, for sort of anybody to take, really. Mm. I think he was... Correct me if I'm wrong. When when was his transfer to, to PSG? You need Leah's to answer that question. The man will tell yeah, you the exact date. Yeah, he's a trivia. <laughs> but in the, if you if you look at since the last World Cup to this one, he's had a lot of like problems personally, privately, and professionally as well. So I think I don't know. Twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen is when he um, joined. When he PSG. when he joined. Okay. Quick Wikipedia search. Yeah, 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 of course. Oh, yeah, mine would have took some time, but I, there's. I think he's <laughs> in in the last four seasons. It's, it's been well documented all the problems that he's had, and he clearly looks like he's just felt fallen out of love for the game. But I think when he sits down and he just has a good break and maybe gets this season out of the way, I think he'll he'll for sure lace his boots up again um, for Brazil. But I think also the a lot of Brazilian fans are undecided on him as well, so I, I don't think that helps. Mm. Yeah, I think that's that's sort of the main thing. Imagine you sort of dedicate however many years trying to get fit, trying to drag your country to sort of a, a World Cup victory. You give them that moment, and sort of pl- players are just playing for sort of personal glory, but also like the nation to sort of show them love in it. And with Neymar, like he, like imagine you're as good as Neymar is, and you've pulled out the performances that he's done, and and people are still. From your own nation as well, yeah. very critical of him. I don't know. I think that's why it, it makes sense in his mind, probably or possibly to to not want to carry on, which is fair uh, enough. I feel for him. I feel for him because in that Croatia game, I don't actually think he played brilliantly. I mean, it was hilarious. Jermaine Genius on commentary was going, 
he's been terrible, he's shocking, then Neymar scored and he went, this guy can do anything. <laughs> I was like, shush, man. Um, but yeah, he tried absolutely everything in that game. Um, it also triggered another tweet from another person who's on this pod pretty frequently, our boy Faisal. Um, and he basically lovely said... Lovely guy, by the way. Lovely, tremendous human. Um, <laughs> we went out for dinner and he wouldn't let me pay. But then in the end, I think, oh no, did we go halves? No, he actually ended up paying and it wasn't cheap. So shout out Faisal. <laughs> He's now chilling in Qatar. Um, another, He tweeted saying, if Modric wins the World Cup, there's a serious conversation to be had about him being the best player, best midfielder ever. Um now, I was thinking about my top five, top ten, and I was going, you know what, pre-World Cup, every time pre-World Cup I come around, and for whatever reason, I always forget Modric in like my top three. But then when I watched him at 37 years of age um, play the way he did against Brazil, it was that last moment that created that goal where he uses his body for a five-foot-six guy. I'm only four inches taller, and I can't use my body the way he does. Um, Paul's four inches um, taller. <laughs> if you want to just flex your height just flex your height man just put it in the description (laughs) 11 Um, (laughs) the way he sort of takes control of possession wins fouls using his body despite not being so physically dominant uh, to then win that situation to get the ball into that wide area. So I think it was Perisic who crossed it in and then Pekovic with the l- most fortunate finish ever because he's a terrible centre-forward. Um, for those little moments... Are you hating Modric on Pekovic? Has, mate, he, he is god-awful. Pekovic, <laughs> if you're watching, we love you. Listen, the commentator <laughs> went, ah, he can't move this guy. And then he took on three players. <laughs> yeah, and the yeah. What a guy. Um but yeah, Modric is an interesting one for me because I think if he does win the World Cup, I don't personally actually value players like that. Like I think even to get get this Croatia team to this point is already like massive. Um, I mean, did you tweet saying something about Modric and someone replied to you saying it's a myth that Modric has got Croatia to this point when you think about that entire team? Was that your tweet that someone replied to? I've not seen that. Uh, reply. I did tweet a few times. He, he tweets that much. Really. He tweets that much. <laughs> no, I tweet loads, but people have clocked on that bizarrely. I literally like, I basically remember every tweet that I've tweeted. I just pick out like a tweet from March 2020 and just you've got it in your go Excel, in it. it. Yeah, I'm literally like, I have every opinion that I've ever had about football. Plus, if I ever become a real life coach, I have to deactivate and scrub the internet of every sort of. <laughs> idea that I've had I've had every tactical idea that I'll ever use and then tweeted it at some point <laughs> you're an innovator <laughs> um <laughs> yeah, you know what's quite funny actually I always see like tweets from you retweeted by you that was tweeted like six months ago and I'm like how have you just gone and found this t- yeah <laughs> there's, like, no, it's like it'll be about Croatia but there's no Croatian keywords in there so it's like you can't even search like Petkovic 2016 it's like no the word in there is like garbage and you've somehow found that tweet. I, know, and I'm like, I, remember, wow. I remember them word for word almost. Like that, someone else clocked onto it. I keep my receipts for the facts. Crazy. Um, Sometimes yeah, I delete back... them as well. But most of the time they're there and they're retweeted. Um, back to Modric. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> where, where is he in your list of best midfielders ever pre-World Cup, as in pre-winning the World Cup, and then potentially post-winning the World Cup, whether you think or not he is going to win it, Amir? I don't I don't think his 
for me, it's different because I view, and I've had this conversation with loads of people, I view sort of the greatest player of all time. My definition of greatest isn't massively determined by like trophies, legacy, results. For me, it's just pure who is the best footballer. Um, that's why I start, I see the best of all time uh, in, in loads of these conversations. I think if you're using sort of the greatest of all time definition that everyone else uses in terms of, oh, he's won this many Champions Leagues, he's won this many World Cups, like he's automatically up there as one of the very, very, very best midfielders of all time. For me, I don't see it like that. I just view uh, his quality as the best and then I've, I see where he fits into that. And I, I even on, on that metric, I think he is one of the best midfielders I've ever watched. I think his game's actually aged ridiculously well. Mm. Um, and even now, how old is he? 36? 37. 37. He still gets about the pitch like he's in his 20s. And it's so shocking to me um, and the thing with Modric is his quality isn't sort of a quality that's restricted to a certain zone like he doesn't need to just sort of stay in this sort of number eight position on the right and, and just receive the pass and he, he can impart his influence across the entire pitch I tweeted a picture of uh, Griezmann Bernardo Silva and Modric together because throughout this World Cup they've all shown me this sort of midfield player that can just do everything uh, Bernardo Silva was playing lone six today when Ruben Neves got substituted off Griezmann plays in a flat three and then sort of defends in his own box and then also runs and, and joins Giroud and then Modric basically controls and, and rotates with everybody in that creation of field I think plays like that for me are really really high up in the all-time list so I don't know possibly top five-ish for me Ooh, top five Ooh. Top five uh, what does Modric have to do to be top one? Only because I want to go to Faisal and either say it's not possible or it <laughs> is possible. <laughs> Win the World Cup, probably. I, I think I, it I personally, change. Look, I'm going to say it. I think he's my top one. Of our generation, he's he's my top one. To do it like for this long, I, I don't... I don't well, have any other. Does your answer. generation include? Does your generation include uh, Xavi and Iniesta? Ch- yeah, yeah, because he's done it longer okay. than them as well. But not just that, but he has done it in teams where they don't necessarily have a system as well. Obviously, Xavi and Iniesta, Busquets—they played in that tiki taka system and they did it for a certain amount of period as well. You know, under Guardiola, then Luis Enrique came in. Modric is doing it under Carlo Ancelotti, who kind of lets his players sort of figure solutions out by themselves. So he's had to change it. Um, also, I, I can't get over how good of a ball carrier he, he is at 37. It's ridiculous. He carries the ball. He's, 10, oh, he's so good. Man. Like It's ridiculous. He carries the ball 15, 20 yards. Um, I, I loved watching Casemiro versus Modric, man. That was awesome. Because it's like, they, they, there was three Brazilians pressing Modric. And I was like, regardless of what you do, what you are going to do, he will pass it through. Um, but I actually... Um... When I um, was watching loads of old games of Casemiro when United were about to sign him, I think I I said something like, my Casemiro watch, the only thing I've learned from it is that I I just think Modric is one of the best midfielders of all time. (laughs) Uh, Even just by watching Casemiro, like Modric was the one that would would stand out to me. And yeah, to be fair, like the fact that he's done it, I mean, four years ago, everyone thought like, fine, this is an amazing sort of, end-ish to his career and then four years later he's still doing it Griezmann's still doing it like I love that bit about the World Cup I think those two players on that sort of stage to be able to still thrive four years later as as two of the main men it's like yeah it it puts them as as two really really talented 
individuals. Yeah. In, in yeah. All, all praise to all praise to Harry Redknapp for bringing us Luka Modric. <laughs> <laughs> all footballing mean, situations come back to Harry Redknapp, man, guy who unleashed Gareth Bale. You gotta love him. Yeah, that's amazing. He, he had a little phase where he was just finding Croatian players. Remember, like there was Nico. Kranjo, well, he, I swear, he was ahead of the curve, bro. I swear, oh, he still is. I think he still is. He's he, one of those guys that like. He he went like there's a region out there that people are not scouting in. Let us go to that region and scout there. And that it's like was a, Croatia. It's Brighton with uh, Ecuador now. Yeah, yeah, yeah literally. Um, Luka Modric is fascinating to me. Like the the thing you said about him is his ball carrying, his like ability to shield the ball when he carries it is so fascinating to me. Because like you know like most players. When you get the ball and you want to shield it, you sort of like stick your backside out. You like you lift your arms out so you can shield the ball. He runs and carries the ball in that motion. If you know what I mean, like it's like the same. What's... It's the same with Bernardo and Griezmann. I see so many similarities in in their sort of style, and I don't know what it is. And also, like I think the fact that Modric is so so skinny. He's one of the skinniest players I've ever seen. But I yeah. think that really adds to his longevity. I think if he was uh, even had a bit of muscle on him. His career would have been slowed down about three, four seasons ago. Um, well, I think isn't a big part of that that like from a physical standpoint, he doesn't rely on pace, he doesn't rely on power, yeah. he doesn't rely on jump, jumping no. ability. He doesn't rely. He doesn't rely on any of those things. He actually just relies on him. Calm. Him, him, and David Silva for me, I think, are both sort of really similar kind of players. Yeah, sort of these skinny shot, guys, yeah. really smart, really tenacious, uh, know how to use their body, sort of doing it. From really, I think David Silva started doing it a bit earlier than Modric, um, which is why sort of him dropping off a couple seasons. I mean, I think they're probably he's probably a year older or sort of mm. around the same age. Um, but him him dropping off a bit, a couple seasons early makes complete sense. They both have this ridiculous longevity. For me, both of those are like all time, isn't it? And I think like if I had to sort of draw up a perfect midfielder, I'd be sort of in that style. Agreed. Both have just had like an insane ability to literally control midfield almost by themselves. Like there was periods yeah. against Brazil where like for 15, 20 minutes with obviously Brozovic and Kovacic are great midfielders next to them. They were like, we're just going to control the midfield. We don't really care if we make any chances. We're going to take this thing out of the game for That's 20 minutes. That's what I loved. That's what I loved. nothing you can do about it. There's not really anything you can do about it. Even with Casemiro. It was like a little rondo session. It was, it was fun, yeah. right? Yeah. But, you, you know, I think people don't clock when you watch that. Like, there's Rondo sessions, then there's Rondo sessions against oppositions who actually want to win the ball off you. Like, it's like Absolutely. doing that before a game with your boys and you've got your two teammates running in the middle. It's calm, it's cool, it's nice. Doing it in a game when you've got, like, Casemiro running around like a pit bull, you've got Richarlison closing you down, you've got other Brazilians snapping at your heels and you're just popping it off to each other, taking it, popping it off to the next man, making an angle, popping it off to the next man and essentially keeping the ball for, like, 18 minutes, keeping it ticking. I was like, bro, like, if you've played the game, you don't, you realise, like, that is one of the most difficult things to do, like, because it's not only like mentally taxing, but it's also physically. You constantly you pop in the ball. You have to go make another angle. You don't get the ball. You make another angle. I, it, honestly, I I tweeted saying I don't think that was anti football. I was like, that's not anti football. If you can mm. keep the ball off the other other team for that long, why not? Like, and the thing is, it has it has a purpose as well. I think a lot of people were saying, "Oh, Brazil look like they're lacking intensity this game." They're not lacking intensity. Uh, like Croatia have, have, have I, I yeah, think they just they're getting them. exhausted. And second of all, like Croatia are killing the momentum. 
is yeah. creatures who are it's making the game slow, uh, making the game sort of kind of boring to, to some, but it works completely in the favor of the creations and yeah, it, puts pressure you know on what? It, well. it proper reminds me of Real Madrid in the Champions League. Like Real Madrid will concede a goal and the other team is on it and Madrid will just kill the game dead just by keeping the ball and the other team gets more and more agitated and then someone switches off and then, and then they go, magic that's where we kill you. Mm. Um, the only difference with Croatia is they practically play with a false nine and I don't mean that like false nine as in this clever tactical false nine. I mean, they play without a striker. Like, yeah. The man up front is not a forward. He, he's got no intention <laughs> of scoring goals. Petkovic, Kramaric, all their man there, they don't know. They don't want to score goals. Yeah. Um. So... People will want us to talk about Argentina and everyone else. We will talk about them in a separate uh, episode. Very, very quickly, the golden question, because I feel like we're all Morocco now. Can yes. Morocco go all the way, Danish? The next one is Hakimi against Mbappe, and them two are. That is going to be a hell of a battle, because they're like best of friends. I'm throwing caution to the wind. They can do it. They can do it. They can do it. Inshallah. Inshallah. Inshallah, yeah. yeah. That's it. That's my answer. Inshallah, on the end. No, um, they can do it. I think. I think it will hinge Why on. Not? They'll. I think personally, it will hinge on how much of their. Th- I think three of the back four is injured. Right, Mazraoui's out. Roman oh, Sais yeah. went out. Um, Amrabat, even if he's out, like he said before the after the Spain game, he says, oh, "I'm an emotional guy." I sat up with a physio at 3 a.m. Oh, trying to get ready he, for he this will, game. He, he'll play through whatever pain. He'll play through a split hamstring, man. They'll stitch it back together. We'll go, I'm there. He, he Instead of sitting up with a physio at 3 a.m., he's going to sit up till 6 a.m. So then he'll have a nice nap and then he'll be ready. Um, I, I I think Morocco can go all the way. Uh, if they can low block. or Actually, it's not really a low block. It's a mid block. If they can mid block the life out of France and get to the final, then I think it's possible. I don't actually think Argentina will get to the final. I don't... The Argentina, when they've come up against teams where they have... Like, the onus is on them to attack the teams is where they've struggled. I think Croatia will smother them in the same way they've, they've, they'll smother Brazil. So maybe we'll get to see an upset final in, in Croatia versus Morocco. I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming. Why not? I am of the opinion that, like... In all honesty, I'm looking at both Croatia and Morocco and going, neither of you lot can score goals. There's no way you make it to the final. And also, both of you lot have played so many more minutes than France and also Argentina as well. Surely you're knackered. But then at the same time, I'm going, when they came into this game today, I didn't actually think Portugal were going to win. I tweeted it before the game. But I thought it would go to pens because I was like, Morocco will drag it there. They score a goal via an error. The worry is, if you're France and you let Morocco score, brother, it's game over. Because they can defend... Like their lives. Portugal could have Portugal could have played for another three days, and I promise you, they might have had one more big chance. Literally, the, the door was shut, closed, and that's without their main centre back. So I don't know, man. Like if it's going to happen, it's going to happen in this World Cup. And what a story, the only, man! The only thing that I'm ten bit worried about is Giroud against Morocco with Morocco's injuries. I think any mm. other form of chance creation, Morocco would be able to keep it out. I think the only sort of two areas Morocco really can be worried about is, first of all, long shots. I think that's the only way to sort of stifle some of these amazing, like, pragmatic defences. Um, and I'm thinking maybe Chouameni can sort of do something there again. Maybe Griezmann can try something there again. Um, and then other than that, teams have really been unable to get at Morocco because when you're playing these crosses into the box, Morocco have this amazing ability to 
basically play the game in the air, win the first ball, sort of chest it, sort of juggle it on the wing with Ziyech, hit it sort of on the volley and bring it down on the other side of the field. So I just think when you're coming up against Mbappe, first of all, you can take that long shot as well. Um, mm. But he, he is probably weaker against a really strong defence and sort of Hakimi on that side than um, the other teams that he's faced. But more importantly, Giroud in, in that box who can get that near post flick, who can win that header there. I think Giroud is bizarrely like probably the biggest threat that they will have faced so far. Mm. Um, and I say bizarrely sort of speaking to general narrative, I think Giroud's amazing. Um, and I think he's sort of the one to it's, watch out for. Uh, it's because it's so hard to like literally defend against. Even if attacking moves aren't working, you can literally ping the ball up and it'll stick. It'll, it'll get to stick. If it doesn't get to stick, yeah, he, you can I mean, ping like, a very good cross in and he'll, and he'll head it in. That's the option that teams go for in like the last 10 minutes. I, we saw against Argentina and Netherlands brought on all their big players and started score two goals um, at, at the end of the game that way. With France, they have a natural technical player who can provide all of that from minute one. Um, and I think teams are less used to being able to deal with that, um, which is why teams have struggled to break down uh, Morocco. But I think Giroud is probably the toughest challenge that they're going to face yet. All right. Well, we are going to do a semi-finals prediction. We're also going to do a, a finals prediction episode, which I've literally plugged about a thousand times. If it doesn't happen now, then my bad. Um... <laughs> <laughs> All right. England have gone out. Fair play to Danish because he's come through last minute when he, he's going to probably cry himself to sleep. Um, you know, one thing I figured I out... You were lying. Is... <laughs> um, we've had Faisal on. We've had Baines on. We've had Amir on. We've had Lears on, although Lears we don't expect from. But them three have all said they're not supporting England. Um, and I've also low-key said I'm not really supporting England like that. That's four out of like... I'm supporting football, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying the same. As yeah, I'm, sport, I'm, sport, I'm supporting English players. I think if England You'll won the trophy, I, I'd celebrate with them. And if England got eliminated, I'm not gonna, but I'm not going to cry with them. Do you, know Do you know how angry... Like some English fans are right now, you can't support our players and not support they've this country. Off. They turned off in the first I mean, five I mean, minutes when when Umir was like, oh, I, I laughed when Kane missed the pen." <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know I what? Um, I actually let me. Did any, did any of you see that tweet? I tweeted something like, "Oh, to be fair, when when uh, Kane missed the penalty, I did tweet something like what I said at the beginning of the podcast, and then." You won't be able to find it because the guy's deleted his tweet. But he, he <laughs> said, he said, he said, if you if you live in England, like uh, support England. So actually, no. What did he say? He said, uh, "You live in England, but you're not supporting them. You're a fake fan." And then I posted the Morocco flag in reply to him, and then he said he quoted me and he said, "Get out of England, then, mate. Go to Morocco." <laughs> uh, and then I quoted him, I quoted him with the Giroud celebration picture. Oh uh, my god! Full time. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, well, uh, so that's uh, fair. Like, you it... can understand roughly where I'm coming from. I mean, like, you know, all you tweeted was a Morocco like... flag. That that could have meant anything. I could have meant you're going to on no, holiday it def- in it Morocco next week. It it definitely, didn't mean... yeah. <laughs> well, okay, fair enough. It definitely meant I was. I'm trying to defend Morocco. you on here, man. Brother, I, I don't. Uh, you know, what? I'll just firm it because, like, <laughs> inshallah, Morocco do the business. If they get knocked out, we had a great tournament. Cool. It is what it is. Um, I just find it funny. I just wanted to mention that because, like, you know what? Hey. I'm not welcome. I'm not welcome in the fan base. <laughs> Raheem Sterling, I've this far. <laughs> if, you, 
If you made it this far, then clearly you weren't offended by Amir's earlier comments, so I won't even apologise on his behalf on, on these later comments, because he's just protecting himself. Um, we will be back in a couple of days, I believe. We've got we've actually got the part two of Ryan Babel coming out right after the tournament, so hang about for that if you enjoyed part one. Uh, Danish, lovely to finally have a chat with you over the internet, even though I literally just saw you a couple of hours ago, but mainly because your internet hasn't died. And shout out my uncle, who's gone and sat in a cold room so that Danish can get this pod done. Um, Amir, pleasure as always. For you lot listening, make sure... Uh, Sorry to your your, um, uncle for wasting uh, sort of precious warmth time by (laughs) waffling on throughout this podcast. (laughs) 15 minutes ago. Hey, he didn't have, you know, quick story on you for that. He didn't actually have a choice because when I called him, it called, the call opened in the car. So like my auntie was oh, like, yeah, yeah you are. You yeah. should have seen, his, like, you seen are... his face when you called. He knew that I get no <laughs> relaxing time tonight. <laughs> oh, man. One day, well. I promise you, promise you, I'm going to get my uncle on this pod. He's going to be fuming when he agrees to do it, but I promise you I'll get him on. Episode 100 will be with my uncle. Do it on a a really cold day, so the option is either freeze (laughs) or come on the podcast. Yeah, man. Um, Right, for those of you listening, make sure you follow No Ratings Pod on socials. Make sure you follow Danish and Omer, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening. Make sure you follow as well. Uh, and thank you for all the support during the World Cup. This pod has been incredible. Although I will be honest, a lot a lot of us are burnt out at this point. Four or five more episodes to go. Then That's it's Christmas cool. break time. We'll see you on the next one. <laughs>